Welcome to the Advisor Talk podcast channel. This is Nick Stewart, CEO and Authorised Financial Advisor at Stewart Group. If you're new to the show, Stewart Group is a CFEX certified financial planning and advisory firm serving clients throughout New Zealand with offices in Hawke's Bay and Wellington. The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from a financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge. Pleasure today to have on the phone Nick Stewart from the Stewart Group right here in Hastings. How are you going, Nick? Yeah, very good. Nice to be here with you. That's good. Now, we've got uh, some current affairs to talk about, uh, but before we get to that, just to remind our listeners what the Stewart Group is all about. Well, Stewart Group is a financial planning and investment business based um, primarily in uh, Hawke's Bay, but we also have an office in Wellington on the terrace. So, yeah, we're all things to all people, financial services. Indeed, and anyone can come and see you, can't they, Nick? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. No one has a number. Um, yeah, for us, we just like helping people. Where there's a need, where we can add some value, we're happy to. Uh, only two topics in the world at the moment. One is uh, what's happening in with Russia and the Ukraine, and the other is Omicron. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about navigating geopolitical events just like what's happening with Russia and the, Euro- Euro- uh, the Ukraine. Get that right. How does that affect what's going on, Nick, with finances? Um, well, what it did, it... Put it this way, this this issue that has been going on between Russia and the Ukraine and then it tags in NATO and Europe, look, it's been going on for quite some period of time. Putin's been very, very clear on his ambition. You know, it's kind of like Mein Kampf with um, Adolf Hitler. You know, the, you yeah. know, Mein Kampf was written. Anyone could read it, go and buy it and, and understand it. Well, anyone could go to Google and download the last five years' worth of speeches from Putin. And some of them are quite tedious and lengthy, but in there he details very, very clearly that he wanted, he wants um, the Ukraine to be part of what was formerly the Russian Empire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so very, very clear. But what it is is that you know markets can factor certain things in, but when something unexpected happens, that's where you see volatility. So we've seen both positive and negative volatility. First was the negative volatility where the market was like, whoa, and um, you know. You know, a few things fell out of bed, and then, um, and then after that, of course, over the last couple of days, we've had a surge back in markets, which have been um, which have been pleasing. Unfortunately, I'm sure there would have been a few people in the last week, um, our clients not included, who uh, headed for the hills and sold their equities, which yeah. would be a shame. Um, but yeah, I mean, you've been is at play. You've been around finances uh, for over thirty years. Uh, it seems to be that uh, the only person in the mire at the moment is Russia itself, uh, 30% down, the ruble's 30% down against the dollar. But Nick, why doesn't the market react like we might expect it to? Why aren't we going to hell in a handcart? Um, well, okay. So Russia's geopolitical footprint is, is large, but its economic footprint is not. Um, it's a little bit like China. You know, China... Um, is a percentage of world GDP is now the largest, it's the largest economic power, but its financial market might 
it's a minnow. Um, and Russia is tiny. So if I look at our portfolio, um, of course, Russia is an emerging market. It's not a developed world market. So whilst it, whilst it is an old country, um, it, it doesn't make it into the, the developed world market set. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's less than 0.31 of a percent of our portfolio is what is exposed to um, a Russian company. Mm. So it's, you know, these are rounding errors. They're very, very small. Yes, it has, um, it has some sectors that Russia does really, really well on, but its ability to have an impact uh, on the world, it's not as large as people think. And particularly when you look at those financial markets, you know, where I'm talking about the fact that, you know, as a percentage of the world equity or debt market, market, you know, Russia is a minnow. It's extremely small. Maybe. And in fact, actually, I was listening to a podcast on this in the last couple of days. The Russian total economy is the same size as Texas. Really? Crikey. Yeah, that, that is all. Okay. So, yeah, hey, it's bad. But it's only the size of one U.S. state. But then in real terms, as far as, uh, say, mum and dad, even right here in New Zealand, it's likely to see uh, an increase in the price of petrol at the pump. It's likely that uh, the cost of uh, groceries will go up. And I, I would imagine it's somewhere along the line that's saying, well, you know, look what's going on in Europe. That's why it's happening. Is that why it's happening? Oh, a combination, I think. Look, the um, increase in the oil price of what you and I see at the pump, I mean, um, I... I was away last weekend and had to fill up the car and I had to put a, um, my, the tank of uh, our family car is 100 litres when it's dry. Mm. So you can imagine that yes. it's extremely, um, you know, it's extremely expensive. But look, that, that has been coming along for a long period of time. I mean, um, you know, there was not that long ago, you know, at, um, you may recall, and you and I have spoken about it on the show before, Ken, just before the first COVID outbreak, you know, back in... Yep. You know, the start of 2020, Boy, that's that. quite a long time ago. Yeah, now. I noticed. Uh, Seems like yesterday. Yeah, it does exactly. But you remember the the Russians and the Saudis had a spat over oil, and uh, they both they were having these arguments, and they both kept you know they said right no we, we're just going to keep pumping, and of course the price of oil went down to a point where they were receiving per barrel less than the cost of extraction. Mm. Now that that's only two years ago that was happening. So here we are today, and oil's pretty close to a hundred dollars a barrel. And you know, you and I, for um, you know, um, if you were putting ninety-five in your tank, you know, you are at three dollars a litre. Yes. And in fact, oh, you know, those poor Aucklanders with their regional fuel tax, they've been through the three bucks a long time ago. Um, so yeah, it's it's painful. This will only exacerbate um, what already was, you know, a strengthening. Um, oil market and oil price. So, I mean, you, you mentioned that some people have been running for the hills, but this is a good time to reflect on that uh, seven-year cycle, isn't it? Really, sort of, you, you, you've got to be in there for the long haul, don't you? Yeah, yeah, you do, you do. And um, look, you know, look, I know there's been some pretty grandiose statements made by um, some of our politicians over the last week to say this is the, you know, the worst crisis, etc. Well, I mean, uh, it could be. Yeah. Um, but when you look back at the deaths that have occurred um, over this generation, um, you know that you know we have seen you know periods of um, turmoil and where you know a lot of people lost their homes and their lives. So so this is not new. You know 
there are always geopolitical tensions. Mm. It's just, it's not that common that we see, um, let's call them an old foe, you know, I mean, the yeah. closest, you know, Cold War era, you know, um, you know, reappears back on the scene. We don't see that very often. You raise a good point there that, um, you know, we're very much people of the moment because of the internet, I guess, but it wasn't that long ago we had the invasion of Iraq, we had Afghanistan, we had Iran, and we came through them all. And uh, it was sort of doom and gloom around that time, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah, you have, um, yeah very much so. I mean, you were um, at the invasion, the invasion of Iraq. You know, people were talking about that we we're going to go back to Carlos days, yeah. um, there will be a big oil squeeze, et cetera. Well, it turned out that that didn't occur. Um, I guess... One of the issues that they've probably got in Europe is the fact that they, they, France and Germany have been for a long period of time closing down their old-style uh, nuclear power plants, mm-hmm. and they haven't been bringing in new modern plants. And and what that does is um, it means that they have become reliant on um, Russian natural gas. You know, you, you've yep. heard of the uh, Nord Stream um you know, pipeline, there's pipeline one, pipeline two. Well, pipeline two's just been effectively stopped um, due to political pressure. But so a lot of those European states have become accustomed to utilising uh, Russian energy. And you know, that is going to be painful as they, I'm not quite sure where, they, where and how they pivot to um, other supplies. For example, the United Kingdom uses a huge amount of Norwegian natural gas, which is fortunate for them. But the Germans, on the other hand, they're reliant on Putin. Yes. What yep. about nervous investors? I mean, there are plenty of nervous investors out there, particularly older people. So what, what bit of advice might be giving them uh, with regard to navigating geopolitical events? Um, well, I would say to them to um, focus on what they enjoy in, 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 in their day-to-day activities. Don't live the market. Don't live the news. Um, let's face it, it is on the other side of the world, even though it affects portfolios and it affects you know, the cost of capital, et cetera, uh, and inflation. The fact is they should look at what they do day to day, focus on what you can control and not what you can't, and hold a diversified basket of assets, so a diversified investment portfolio. And the best thing, probably the most important, is have an advisor on your side to weather the storm with you and give you wise counsel during these periods. And it's like, and Ken, you and I have spoken about this before, it's a little bit like an aeroplane pilot. Pilots are paid a really, really large sum of money for their job. But the fact is, for most of the time, it's like driving a bus. It's quite, it's quite smooth and, you know, it's, 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 it's a relatively mundane process. But you know what? They're paid the big bucks when things go wrong, when there are turbulence, when there's volatility, when things go wrong, that's where the pilots earn their dollars. And, still... yeah. Sorry, carry on. No, and I was going to say that's what a financial advisor does because you know when when the markets are when the markets appear to be effectively linear, like it's just a, a line a line that just goes up and up and up, and it's nice and smooth from a distance, it looks like that, but day to day, it's incredibly volatile, and we've seen that over the last. Five trading days, incredibly volatile. You know, swings of negative four, yeah. positive four. Wow, you know. They're still quite halcyon days for you, though, aren't they? Because, for I mean, for the last two years, we've been inundated with bad news with regard to COVID and uh, Omicron, but Kiwi Savers hardly moved. 
um, yeah, yeah. In, the, in the opposite direction. Um, and the world economy seems to be trucking along. So um, yeah, it couldn't be that much better, really, could it? Um, it is pretty good. It was an it was interesting, Kim, because you know, coming up for the show, I was actually going to talk to you about the fact that you know the market had actually pulled back about ten percent. Uh, we're very fortunate that our portfolios are really well diversified and well engineered. So, our portfolios are only back on average about three and a half percent. Whereas, if we look at um, global stock markets, on average they're back about ten percent. Mm. Now, it may sound that I'm quite relaxed about it, about the ten percent. You know, I'm not nervous about that. Now, the reason why that is the case is that, you know, markets last year, some of the markets were up 25 to 27%. So the fact that there's a pullback, that's a a good thing because you can't have markets go up and up and up forever at a a whopping rate. And when I'm saying a whopping rate, if the the U.S. market on average goes up by 10% per annum, that is on average over the last 100 years. Well, if you have periods when it goes up by 25%, hey, at some point, it's going to come back. So at the moment, we've got one of those those periods where markets have pulled back. And I guess it's just unfortunate for some people where, let's say they may have invested, I don't know, let's say Christmas last year. Well, that means from their investment period from Christmas through to now, not only has the underlying market been negative, and the, and the sentiment has been negative, but now you've got some geopolitical risk, which has pulled it back a little bit further. So so those type of folks who are recent to the market, they just have to focus on the long term. Now, I've been talking for nearly five years, um, and we've been talking about how the housing bubble just never seems to, uh, never ends, uh, and what was always talking um, about that's busting. But it seems to be now to be a buyer's market. Is, is it starting to cool off? Is that bubble going to burst? Yeah, yeah, it is. Look, I was, I was talking to some um, Auckland colleagues and friends um, over the last month, and certainly the um, the fizz has gone out of that market, and you're starting to see um, some of the um, valuations are starting to pull back. Now, when I say valuation, anyone can go online and get a free, you know, AI, artificial intelligence valuation on their property, and that's just giving them a um, rough estimate of what the value of their property is. Very, very similar, by the way, to the AI that's used for the completion of um, government valuations for rating purposes. So what, we're, what I'm saying is that in that in those um, online valuations, you're already seeing that they're pulling back. Uh, they've been pull, pulling back in Auckland for a number of months, and they're now starting to come back uh, in our sector now. But I think some of that, not only have we had a couple of rate rises, which have flowed through to the... Um, a loan market, so people are starting to say, I'm actually going to have to pay a little bit more on my mortgage. But the other thing is, the big one, and this is what you and I spoke about, and I've written um, um, a couple of pieces um, about this now, and that is the triple CFA, which is the new lending laws. Mm. They are really having a negative effect now, like the chickens have come home to roost. So that was, you know, the 1st of December that legislation came into effect. Um, you and I were speaking about this, Ken, before Christmas, yes, saying that Houston, we have a problem. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, it really has now, and you're now seeing, um, you know, some of the major banks, including the one that the government is a major shareholder in, Kiwi, Kiwi Bank, have said that it has it has materially affected their um, their lending. Now, it doesn't mean that they can lend less, but it just the time and the administrative and compliance burden on 
every single loan is now vast. So it just slows things down. It's like, you know, the, you know, the bandwidth of the pipe is only so wide and, um, you know, there's only so much water that can go down it. So these institutions are finding that with this um, a lot more red tape um, and some a very punitive um, penalties if they get it wrong, a lot of them are finding that it's just slowing up their ability to lend. doesn't mean they don't want to lend. They would like to. But this is a principles-based approach, and, yeah, it's quite punitive if the banks get it wrong. Now, not only are you a very clever man when it comes to finances, but I know you've got your ear to the ground uh, politically speaking as well. Do you think that legislation that you just talked about, do you think that's here for the long haul? So even if we had a change of government next year, do you think that uh, an incoming, let's say it was a national government, do you think the national will say, hmm, actually, let's, let's st- stick with that? Let's, because that's really driving the, the price of houses down, isn't it? Okay, so I've always, and I've said this before. The greatest impact that one can have on housing is by increasing supply, and that comes through the supply of land. So that's the big one. That's the number one. The number two is the cost of funds, so the interest rate, and then number three is is the the actual ability of the banks to lend and their appetite. So so really, this legislation is kind of its third rung on the ladder. Mm. Um, Look, you know, you've seen it from ACT. ACT has said, scrap the legislation, repeal it, start again. Um, I'm not sure what Nationals' policy on that. I don't think they've been quite as strong as that. Um, but certainly, I, I think that any new party to government uh, would be much more effective than what we've seen at the moment. I mean, we've got it where the minister uh, has announced an inquiry. I mean, this, with a stroke of a pen, we could have repealed this legislation and started again but we haven't. This is now four months in, and the pain is there. So it was, you know, 1st December, so here we are in March. So, look, it's just most unfortunate, and inquiries can drag on forever. Whereas, you know, they could, as I said, sorry to keep going on about it, but they could have repealed it and started again. Um, look, the the one thing that I've been talking about this a little bit with on social media, and that is... When you've got a market that's one of the most expensive in the developed world, and this data that I'm talking about here is from The Economist, so you can go and have a look at their website. It'll show New Zealand housing from 1970 through to today adjusted for inflation, and it has has appreciated the most over any developed world country by quite a margin. So it's expensive. So for us to starve that market of liquidity, is going to be painful. Yes, it will have a negative impact on the housing market, but I just don't think that this was the way to do it. And look, I don't think it was actually their intention to use the legislation to do this. The legislation was designed to prevent or to protect people from loan sharks. Mm. It wasn't to protect them from getting a home mortgage with a mainstream retail bank. That is an unintended consequence. Yeah. I did read a headline a few weeks back which said that uh, in the 1970s, and you mentioned that uh, a house costs on average two to three times the average wage. And whoever wrote this article was basing the uh, the average wage on being in excess of $100,000. And the average house price, for instance, in a place like Auckland and Wellington, I guess, is now nine to ten times the average wage. Those 70s uh, comparisons, they're never coming back, though, are they? So what's the point of even mentioning that? Um. Things do revert to norm. They do revert to the average or the mean. Just sometimes it can be um, 
I mean, it's like a bit of an aberration. It can take a long period of time, and people think that this is the new norm. Mm. The Irish thought that too until 2008. They were very, very similar to us. In fact, they were like, if you look at all the metrics in the graph, they were like our twin. We actually had a, we were a very highly correlated market to them. In other words, you know, we both appreciated at about the same rate until they fell through the floor and their house prices still haven't got back to where they were in 2008. Yeah. So, um, ours just kept going and going and going. Yeah. Now, you, you could say that New Zealand's different. Every time that someone says to me, oh, this time it's different, I, um, I put my sneakers on, <laughs> make sure the laces are tight, and I run. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like someone telling me that they've worked out some way of deriving a return with no risk. Like, it doesn't happen. They've yeah. obviously missed something. Um, but I think that we always do need to go back and look at the numbers historically because there's a reason why, on average, globally, that, you know, banks typically and houses transact at that kind of four times average gross earnings. There's a reason because that's where during periods of turmoil people have the ability to maintain the debt, et cetera, associated with the purchase. Whereas at eight, nine, ten times, these numbers are these these are stratospheric numbers. And again, New Zealand could be different. I don't know about you, Ken, but I don't think I would want to have ten times my average of, you know, my annual earnings of death. Wow. Absolutely. So do you think that in our lifetime that we'll see a house in Auckland or Wellington for $500,000? I'm not sure we'll see it back at $500,000, but I just don't think, Ken, we're going to see it at nine and ten times earnings because it's not sustainable. If Okay, if we look at it in simple terms, and I was discussing this with someone yesterday, and I said, because they were were asking me about interest rate increases, and I said, the beauty of the debt market, in other words, the bond market, is that you can look at the market's forward expected rates of return and what the Reserve Bank Governor is going to do over time. It's baked in. You can see it today. Mm -hmm. So, because a lot of people say, oh, you know, what's the Reserve Bank Governor going to do? And my, my immediate comment is, look at the market and you can see what the market in other words all market participants every day are transacting on information and on their beliefs no one person is right or wrong but it's just a a weighted average it's a massive pricing mechanism so if you look at the market at the moment the market is expecting and now my numbers might be a little bit out but it was something between the next eight or nine times the Reserve Bank Governor has the ability to increase interest rates, the market is factoring that they're going to do 0.25 at every time. Mm. Now, I might be one off on that, but it's pretty close. So, Ken, what I'm saying is that if you look at that, that is going to have a material impact on those people who have borrowed 8, 9, and 10 times their earnings to buy a house. I mean, that is Scary. Phenomenal numbers. Yeah. Just a yeah. quick word. We're just about out of time. Uh, quick word yep. on all that glitters might be a scam. <laughs> yeah, this was a a, um, a piece that we published um, recently, or actually last Saturday in the Hawks Bay today. And it's just, we're starting to see there's a proliferation of online scams. And when you look at it, you know, the there's a reason why these, why these, very sophisticated scammers keep on going. So for people like you and I, Ken, we may say, boy, that's a joke. I'm not opening that email. Mm. But the fact that they keep sending them, scammers are entrepreneurs. They're not going to keep doing it unless there's a potential win. 
So clearly, even though you and I think it's crazy, and that who would fall for that, sadly, people are. And the level of sophistication on these things has increased markedly over the years. And, and in the article, we actually, there was a new term that we were looking at that I'd never heard of before, and it's called pig butchering. And you sit there and go, what the heck is pig butchering got to do with cyber? Well, cyber and scam and crime. Well, what it is is that effectively you go through a fattening period, so you fatten the pig. So this is where the cyber criminal befriends the person, and it may take months or years, e.g. like a romantic scam. Mm. And the butchering is when they actually clean out the bank accounts and the credit cards. Yes, indeed. So there you go. So if we get offered a scheme which seems to be too good to be true, what would be your advice? Do some homework, seek advice from a professional. But most of the time, if it's too good to be true, it will be. And if, if you know, Mr. Magugu from Nigeria, former prince, um, approaches you because you're a long-lost relative and he just wants to place through your account $5 million US dollars and you get a 10% cut, um, <laughs> <laughs> and you've never had a Nigerian relative, um, you know, it's a scam. Yeah, but course. it's amazing the amount of people I that know. fall for these things. Very, very sad. Good on you, Nick. And I just remind our listeners, we want some advice from you. How do we do that? Um, you can come and see us at 204 in Katamu Road. That's the Black Basalt Stone Building with the Tartan logo. Or you can come and see us on the terrace in Wellington. The information provided, or any opinions expressed in this show, are of a general nature only, and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from a financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge.